What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ron again. Joining me as always, Christian Nambu, here to talk some NBA conference finals as well as a little bit on the draft lottery that went down. The Spurs have won the Victor Webanyama sweepstakes, but some of the other teams that got in the top three are uh, teams that couldn't look to move on, could move the pick, could go towards a rebuild with this pick. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But before we get into it all, I just want to thank you all for making this your first listen for NBA coverage. And if you like what you are hearing, make sure to subscribe. That button is right there below you. Give us a like, drop us a comment, leave us a review. You're on Spotify. Let us know what you think, and we will keep producing that content. But Chris, I got to say good morning to you. I appreciate you hopping on very good early over there. Very, very early. I'd appreciate you uh, making making that time for me. Where do we start here? Well, obviously, we've got the conference finals to discuss. It's been a very, very interesting start to both series. But I think we'll we'll open up with the draft lottery. The Spurs won the sweepstakes. They did it. The tank meant the most to them, and they uh, they ended up winning. What do you think? Dude, number one thing I think, and yes, everyone, thank you for for. I need it. I need five minutes before I start sounding like I didn't just crawl out of bed because that's exactly what I did. Um. But, man, no one's talking really about the draft right now. No one's talking about the guy that everyone's pinning as the next best player since LeBron James. The guy who will be a disappointment if he doesn't become Hakeem Olajuwon. No one's talking about the fact that Greg Popovich, one of the most celebrated coaches in NBA history, one of the most winningest coaches in NBA history, one of the most storied franchise, just won another, another generational big regardless of the comparisons that are being made right now, like it's undoubtedly one of the most exciting big men that's going to be drafted in the NBA and another chapter really in this story franchise, like the Spurs have somehow looked into another generational big man. And dude, that's, that is such a storyline. And that goes to show how good the playoffs have been that that's not being talked about. There, There will be a time for it, but the playoffs have been that good that someone in something this exciting that's going down is not really talked about but excited to give it it's a due worth for a couple of minutes here yeah absolutely i think obviously big for the spurs it it was cool that like obviously webin yama was was seemed happy that it was the spurs because obviously he feels that relationship he's talking about tony parker different the international players and just getting to work with a guy like greg popovich you know he's like if you're coming into the nba he's like definitely one of the top three coaches you know you want uh, leading you and mentoring you as you uh, make your first steps in the uh, in the NBA. The the real question here is like, where do you where do you think they can go? Even just year one, like does in my head, I I feel like he'll have to be like MJ rookie level to get this Spurs team even a, even a playing spot. I know it's not like all about the instant impact, but when you're this guy, when you're ready to have this impact there's going to be the pressure there to not only deliver in terms of stats, but also to show that instant impact on, on winning for the Spurs as well. Um, Two things. And first and foremost, yes, he's definitely happy, happy to be on the Spurs, but also did you notice all the, uh, all the shade coming from the Rockets? The reaction was posted of him, not <laughs> of noticing the Rockets are not getting the first pick. We have a little fist bump and <laughs> I saw Jalen Smith uh, comment on that on Twitter. I think I also saw Jalen Green, but Rockets, Rockets people in general were very much uh, taking notes on that. But 
you compare those two teams to answer your question about how good they'll be. Compare what the Spurs look like and compare what the Rockets look like. The Rockets have talent, yes. And I'm excited about their talent. And I can't wait to talk about them this summer because I think that they have a lot of guys that could make steps. But then you look at the Spurs and maybe you don't have that same flashy talent. You don't have a guy like Jalen Green. No. But you have a guy like Devin Vassell. You have a guy um, in Keldon Johnson. Two guys that I really do believe in as potentially championships like level role players. I, I really do believe in these guys to be at that level. Maybe not right now, but soon in the future. Like if it's not the Spurs, guys like that will be on winning teams. Then you look at Malachi Branham. He was a very solid rookie. Very solid rookie. Um, Jeremy Sohan, who has shown that he hasn't I remember like when we're looking at Draymond Green, and this is not a player comparison. I'm just talking about defensive players in their first year and what it looks like. And Jeremy Sohan looks like one of those guys that could make immediate impact defensively at a high, high level. We saw Trey Jones make a lot of noise as a playmaker, just like his brother. The shooting needs to come up him for him. But I think they, they have real contributors on this team that know their roles and that have had time under Pop. And they're now receiving a highly, highly capable competitor in Weminyama, a guy who's going to be, I mean, says he's ready. Everyone says they're ready to compete. Well, we'll see it when it actually comes. But I think with his game, the way it'll translate and the way this team's built, I don't think they're going to be like a major playoff team, but there's no question. There's no question that they have the pieces necessary to at least try to compete and not to mention top five in half space this offseason so anything is possible with this team this isn't just they're going to be patient there's no reason not to be patient you just lucked into the next big thing in this league but i don't think you're gonna see a spurs organization that's gonna you know keep pushing for the draft next year they're gonna really be aggressive i believe mm, yeah well I, I, as they should be my my challenge for for victor will be can he be the guy that gets as close to anyone to bring him back the sky hook the Kareem Scott, <laughs> the, the size of this guy, the 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 height, the advantage he's gonna have. Could he could he do it? That's my challenge. Right. Every every challenge shot he takes, superstar. every shot he takes is a sky hook. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's absurd. What about some of the other the other top picks? We got the Hornets at two. We got the Trailblazers at three. Uh, Rockets and Pistons closing out the top five. What do we think about the Hornets and Portland? Portland is the is the real interesting one. The kind of instantly yeah. came out once they got that third pick. They're going to try and move that to get yeah. the star alongside Dame. I don't know if the value is there, even if they package it with Anthony Simons. I don't know if the value is there to get what they need to really build a a, a top six team in the Western Conference around Dame. It the thing is, is you never know what happens you never know what happens in the offseason that's that's such an obvious take but like we never predicted any of the major moves that took place so you never know who's going to become available i don't know does do the raptors really decide to make change i don't think that i mean og is a player on that team that's constantly floated around and the reason he's constantly floated around is because every team would love to have a player like that every competitive team um and I think the Raptors are interested in being a competitive team. And there's just never been any signs that there's been real traction for that. And I don't think the Raptors are trying to reset that far back. But I bring that up as one example because that could change. Like that, that literally could change overnight. You never know where the team's direction is going to go, especially with whatever um, head coach they end up going with. 
um, how the organization looks at Scotty Barnes. So that's an example among many in this league where you're not sure where that's going to go. And when you have a top three pick, that changes a lot of things. So obviously teams are, I mean, on Twitter, it's the constant cycle of your fake trades and teams like my Bulls, which I saw. <laughs> I think I sent you one. It was it was uh, Shaden Sharp in the third pick for um, like Levine and Caruso, whatever. And, you know, I look at a package like that and I'm using the Bulls as an example, not to be the, the team that will do it. But I think, I think there's plenty of teams that are on the brink and are looking at the current competition right now. And while there is parity, there's a clear delineation of the teams that are going to continue to get better and the teams who are just not really cutting it. And the Bulls are definitely in the thick of that. So look at, look at teams like the Bulls, maybe like the Wizards, to be aggressive for this pick because it's not very often a top four pick is going to be for sale like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And there's obviously other talent outside of uh, Webb and Yama. We got Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, yeah, Amen Thompson. There's a lot of there's a lot of talent around there, and you kind of almost look at it and think that one of these guys could end up being the real prize pick of this draft because of the amount of pressure that's on Webb and Yama and the focus that's going to be on him. These guys can go under the radar and really could be elite level stars. They just haven't got the traction because Webb and Yama is just on that next level when we haven't even got to the draft yet. But it, uh, it should definitely be interesting. And we'll certainly get into that more in, uh, in, a, in a, in a month or two when we're, when we're finished with the, with the playoffs, but let's get into the, the NBA playoffs. The, the conference finals are well underway. We have just finished the first home stretch. We'll start out in the East. The Miami Heat are up 2-0 after two games in Boston. Really insane. And I, I thought this after watching the, the, the first game in each series. It, it really feels like both Miami and Denver are both... It's just their time. Some of the some of the shots they're making, some of the runs that they're going on, it just feels like th- there's no stopping these guys at this moment. They're, they're in their moment and no one is going to stop them. Obviously, only one of them could go all the way. They they still haven't even secured that place yet. But the Heat are just in a uh, a mode right now that I don't see how Boston get back into this series. I mean, I'll I'll wait to see. I'll wait to see how the Celtics respond in Game Three before I before I lay an indictment. Obviously, the the current current indictment on these two games is pretty bad. Um. And there's a lot to get into with how the Celtics have lost these games and how the Heat have continued just to be the most surprising, the most gritty, the most thrilling team to watch in this playoffs. And thrilling is interesting because we're seeing two very different forms of basketball from the two teams that are now up 2-0. You see the Nuggets and how just how much finesse they have and how how smart they are at getting into their offense, their high-powered offense, the amount of shooting that they have. And you see the Heat, who are just patient, and they just continue to fight, and they just continue to make shots out of nowhere. Like, the, the shots you see these guys take, they're just completely fearless. Um, and I, I think I want to start by just talking about the bench and talking about Caleb Martin. Mm-hmm. I I think that this guy, ever since he's been given time by the Heat, and I, I was curious who was going to step up in Oladipo's absence, and Martin has been better than Oladipo could have 
I could have hoped Oladipo would have been. And and that's that's a common that that's not to say anything bad about Oladipo, but the the speed at which he's playing the open floor, his willingness to get to the cup and, and finish over Robert Williams. I mean, no one else on this team, even even Jimmy Butler, because I, I think Caleb Martin has a different athleticism than Jimmy Butler. Like Caleb Martin can really can really get from point A to point B fast, faster than a lot of people think. I think he's got athleticism people don't really notice. And no one else is putting pressure on the rim like he is. And the fact that he had 25 points in game two and a very, very important stretch of 15 points in game one, no one on the Celtics have really matched that sort of response. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's had his moments here and there, but 13 points in game two. We look at game one, 19 points, a solid production. But in game two, when they really needed him to match that sort of effort against second unit, it didn't come. And yeah, we can talk to the stars, but I think that the depth was supposed to be the crushing blow against the Heat. That second unit of the Heat going against the second unit of the Celtics, like that Celtics second unit should be demolishing the Heat. With all, with all the talk of the seven undrafted free agents, that should be the talk of why the Celtics are winning and not the surprising part of how the Heat are managing to pull this out of thin air. But the, I mean, these guys are ultimately competitive. I, I, I don't know what, what, what you think about the, the bench talk, but like that, that seems to be a striking thing for me. Like they can stay in these games with their second units and that, that just shouldn't be happening. Yeah, no, it's insane. And obviously like yeah, last night, I think Martin and, uh, Robinson, I think, combined for like either six or seven of the nine three pointers that the uh, that the Heat made, and that was obviously a difference in them getting back into the game. It was obviously a, a kind of a different game, almost like they only had nine threes. The the Celtics only had ten threes. You don't see that too often in these uh, in this modern NBA, and that's why I think that the advantage was there for the Heat to dominate the paint to to get that scoring inside as well. And I I loved how much the ball was in in Bam's hands, especially last night. He didn't have the most efficient game compared to especially game one, but he kind of channeled his uh, his inner Jokic there last night. 22 points, 17 boards, 9 assists. Ball was going through him a lot. He obviously made that that crucial offensive board and put back it down the stretch to, to get them the win. And I'm enjoying the way that he's playing the, the this series so far. He's obviously back-to-back 20-point games. You don't see that too often from Bam. He can kind of fade in and out from being aggressive and having the ball in his hands in moments, but it's working at this moment and, and it needs to continue. They have to continue to push that. Remember we saw that unbelievable game that he had uh, in the, in the playoffs last year against the, uh, against the Celtics, but he doesn't even need to do that. Now the way Jimmy Butler is playing, you let him be the star. He just needs to remain consistent, get demand the ball and make, make these smart plays. And that will allow the heat to continue on and, like, if they keep playing the way they're playing, I, I don't see this game going much longer or this series going much longer than five games. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the play of Bam has been amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm looking it up here. I, I think when uh, when the broadcast was talking about Bam scoring 20 points or more and them being, them being undefeated, they weren't considering uh, the pass, but 15 and 6 when Bam scores 20 points or more since he came in the league. And, and it seems pretty obvious with, with what he brings defensively, with what he's bringing with the playmaking. But I mean, were, were you have you been surprised with how he's been offensively? Because this this 
this is the kind of like shift in mentality that I didn't think he would have last season. I think I was really quick last postseason to kind of look at his game and kind of accept that he is who he is and he'll keep getting better. It's like a, you know, a tertiary offensive option, but it could never be a second guy, but he's really shifted his mentality here. Like he's taken the onus. He's taken the mantle to put the ball on the floor, attack the middle and to even get in the post and fight. Like he's had a few times where he's taken Robert Williams down into the paint, which I think is really smart. It's, it's Robert Williams is a lot scarier as a strong weak side defender as opposed to just mano a mano right in the paint because Bam's strong. He's got he's got the ability to really push anyone off of their off of their uh, center of gravity, and he took advantage of that. And that that's that's not a that's not a mentality that I expected from him in these playoffs, and honestly, that I expected from him moving forward. And that that's that's been a really surprising development for me too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not overly surprised because this is something I demanded from Bam last year, especially <laughs> after that huge game that he had in the, against uh, against the Celtics. So I, I I expected him to be able to get to this level, and and the Heat definitely need it, especially with Oladipo going down, with Hero going down. There was no hiding place for Bam then. He absolutely couldn't just be the defensive stopper, the their 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 top defensive player. He had to be a two way player. He had to be a twenty point per game scorer. He stepped up like that, and I mean the the Heat they're up they're up zero two after after two games on the road, and you have the answer for me. When is the last time that the road team in the conference finals <laughs> was up two zero after the first two games? Thank you for asking. I would have totally forgot that. Um, that's what I was thinking last night. Looked around, looked around, and this answer is brought to you by Chat GPT because uh, Stat Muse, you need to get on your game that you didn't have the answer here. But the last time. A conference finals team with home court advantage lost the first two games at home. Is never this has never happened before. Wow, never. And I, I didn't. I thought maybe I'd have to narrow it down to like the last time a a bottom, like a a bottom two seed, lost that to a top two. Like no, it's never happened before. Period. And for a Celtics team that I think has a lot of never been done. Jason Tatum's never been done scoring performance in game seven. Their two young wings never been done type of performance in the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron, almost getting to the championship. The amount of uh playoff wins they have as a young so like a lot of a lot of never befores with this really talented team. But the same amount of never befores with the opposite end. And I think it's it's this dichotomy that they need to grow out of that I believe they'll grow out of and will take moments like this. I, I don't, I think people are really, people are such prisoners of the moment in the playoffs because, you know, it's game to game. One game determines the fate of the team, the fate of a whole season and in this month span, the fate of an entire franchise. But I, everyone needs to relax a little bit because these guys are still young and this coach is still new and this system really has only stood the test of one regular season. That was a fantastic regular season. The best in recent memory, and one that gave us the utmost confidence that this was a team that was going to make it to the championship. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, a lot will a lot will be – there will be a referendum if they lose in five games, like you said. Like, there there will be serious consideration of, you know, what, what they do moving forward with uh, maybe not the team, but coaching. Um, but – yeah, let's 
what, what do you want to start with with the Heat though? Because I mean, the Heat have been fantastic. I think the Celtics beat themselves, but what have you seen from the Heat though? What what they've been doing that that really got them in this, kept them in this? It's 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 obviously you can get into the specifics, but it's just a doggedness of this Miami team. Especially yeah. we saw like that that like obviously game one they have that forty six point third quarter like that is just insanity. They they just hit that that spark. They literally could barely they could barely miss a shot, and that got them over the line in the end. But it it was like I was saying before. It just feels like this is their moment. Like think about that three that Jimmy Butler hit. To, to stretch it to 10 points in that in that game one it closing out that was a more heavily contested three and looked just as bad as that one LeBron took in game one against the nuggets but it went in for Jimmy because Jimmy is just he's just in that moment and things are just dropping for him because he's just playing that well and you you look at that and then you look at last night the game they they went down double digits early. And they, they fought back. And then when it happened again, I was like, okay, surely the Celtics are gonna have enough just to close it out. They're not gonna they're not gonna blow them out here, but the they have enough of a lead now that they can take advantage of this. But no, the Heat stay with it. They can come up with a lot of stops. They can give the ball to Jimmy, they can give the ball to Bam. You're getting that production off the bench from from, from Caleb Martin, from from Duncan Robinson as well. They just always they just have the answer. They they stay their defense keeps them in games, and then when they go when they get clicking on offense, Jimmy Butler the way he's playing, Grant Williams. What, what were you thinking? What, what what were you thinking last night? That was that was that was pretty stupid. But I mean, they close out the game on a twenty four to nine run. That's that's impressive to do that on the road against this Celtics team that. Should be full of confidence the the way they closed out that series against against Philadelphia and the T uh, the TD Garden being one of the hot hardest places to go for an opposing team the the Heat are just they're just in that zone. Yeah, I I wanna <laughs> I wanna defend Grant Williams a little bit here, uh, for two reasons. One, you know, I I, I respect the authenticity. I respect the 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 passion because for a guy who's been sitting on the bench who hasn't had that opportunity like you give him that chance and he's going to compete and he's going to compete and be himself and that's what the Celtics, honestly that's what the Celtics needed they need a little bit of swagger they needed someone to come and go out there and prove something but unfortunately Jimmy Butler ain't the one like that's not like that that was Grant's job and that's who he is so I respect it go for it but you know I, I gotta I gotta say that's probably not the guy you wanted to go at. <laughs> Maybe you want to try and demoralize Bam. Maybe try to demoralize somebody else. Um, but you know that that's that's an MJ type of gene. That's a Kobe kind of gene. Like you don't trash talk the guy who's proven to be the guy on the floor at any time. And that's I think to to simplify everything, a lot of this comes down to what you're saying about the the mentality that dog mentality and it feels it feels like a like a heavyweight fight where you know at, at one point this the guy's taking all the punches in the first couple rounds and he's just not getting affected and then the other the, the guy's throwing punches who's like doesn't know what to do next because he just punched the guy in the face six times in a row and he's still putting up fist like it feels like any run the Celtics go on it's like that it's like one of those moments where he that they don't have 
enough fight in them to keep going. And it's almost demoralizing to watch your opponent just like completely just eat haymakers and eat 20 point runs and then give you a 20 point run, eat another 20 point run. All right, well, here's a 30 point. It's, it's insane that with, without any sort of superstar uh, uh, contribution in that aspect, like Jimmy Butler definitely goes in his runs, but it's not like you're facing a, a Kyrie Durant type of team where, Kyrie goes off for 20 points this quarter and then Durant goes off 20. It's no, the whole team just as like a one single organism just does not get deterred. They're, they're like, they're like, uh, I don't know. I, I got to think of like a, an alien movie where you just can't, <laughs> you can't fight these guys, man. Like they they just have one mind and one fight and there's no one weak link. I, I think that's something I noticed as well. No matter what unit they put out there, there's not one guy out there that you notice is not giving effort that is not completely selling out on every single play and that's you know to go through that not to go through the motions the opposite of going to to really commit to that level of play for a whole playoff series i mean that is probably the most impressive thing about this team is that there, there's not a single play taken off ever maybe mistakes here and there um i, I think really just that the only thing i can even remember is you know gabe vincent giving a backdoor cut to jalen brown for that dunk that was like the only really exciting play you saw to Jalen Brown, who we should probably talk about him before we get off this, because that's that's been an interesting lack of a story. Um, but yeah, that, I, you really can't point to to poor play. You can't really point to poor effort and really huge breakdowns. And for a team that's got your seven undrafted free agents, that's what the, that's what they demand. That's what Spo demands. That's why he's the best coach in the league. Mm-hmm. And I'll get off my soapbox, but man, like this this Heat team, Heat team has just been so impressive and. The Celtics don't deserve to beat this team if that's how they're going to play, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This championship mentality we're seeing from this uh, from this Miami team. And uh, just to finish off then, the kind of the checkpoints you look at for the Celtics to kind of find a way to get back into the series. I, I'd like to see them get the ball to Marcus Smart a bit more. I feel like we've seen flashes in, in games. We saw that in the series with Philly as well. And he looks really good and it looks like he's in, in the zone. But then... He has like back-to-back plays where he gets the ball and he and he scores or makes plays and then he'll go 10, 12 uh, offensive sets without without really uh, having the ball in his hand. So I, I'd be interested to see if they could get him the ball a little bit more, even just to, to change it up a little bit to, to give uh, the Heat a little bit something more to think about. Al Horford has been a real non, non-factor so far even on the defensive end and he hasn't really had any sort of impact as an offensive player in this uh in this series so far and then the main one is is brown he has struggled massively he's got to step it up or this team is going to go down it, it, i won't say it'd be a sweep because i always feel like the celtics are too good of a team to not get one game but if brown isn't Obviously, you can go games where you're not hitting your shots, but he's got to be aggressive then. He's got to make sure he's getting to the line. He's got to find some way of making sure that he's putting that ball through that hoop and trying his best to match to match Jason Tatum uh, going into the couple of games now in Miami because they're they're their must win games for this uh, for this Celtics team. Yeah, I think for for Brown. There's two things. I think this goes not to how Brown's playing, but how the Celtics, I think, could have an advantage next game. But Brown is Brown has resorted to the mid-range shot. 
at times where I feel like he has an advantage to get to the paint. And, and I think that he's, he's a great, he's a great shooter when he's on, like when Jalen Brown gets on as a, as your second best player, like that's, that's unstoppable. Cause when he goes on those runs and you got Tatum waiting to, to get in there and, and get his as well, that's, that's tough to beat that one, two punch, but the Celtics scored over 60 points in the paint in game one. Yes. They still lost. They also didn't match the three point production, but I think that that just comes down to harmonizing um, your looks in the paint with the shooters that you have on that team. And that's something they've done all season. So I think the lack of pressure in the paint this game was noticeable. And playing inside out with Marcus Smart, I didn't love that. So that, it, was, it was interesting you brought that up because I thought I thought that he took the appropriate amount of good shots to bad shots. Because sometimes the, when you get Marcus Smart going, the good shot to bad shot ratio is pretty bad. It's like one-to-one. It's like every other shot. It's like, oh, that could have been a better shot. Or and then he's all of a sudden he's playing like a like Stockton out there getting eleven assists in one half, but it, I I think keeping him at a lower volume is fine. I think that the bigger deal is the poor shot selection by Tatum. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's fine when he's hitting that step back three, that side step three. It looks amazing, and it's so so important to hit tough shots when really the offense isn't going. And especially against the zone, but that the heat zone has just really forced him and Brown into poor shots. Mm-hmm. And they're not, I mean, they're, they're hitting them at a acceptable rate for the heat to continue competing. Um, so I, I would hope that they get to the rim a little bit more, like continue to really push, push the ball into the paint, get Robert Williams, better looks. I mean, Robert Williams had some moments where, you know, he's one-on-one against Bam in the paint and nobody cares. And he turns around and hits a hook. Like, explore that a little bit. How, how much more pressure? How how can you get Williams going? If you can get Time Lord in there and you can really put Bam in foul trouble, get for someone else to rotate over and help in the paint. Like, there there needs to be a little bit more gravity instead of everybody staying home. And that's how you get all these turnovers as well. Like Tatum, Tatum gets stopped and turns around to pass the ball, but nobody's helping. So no one's really in in good position. So that that's also a coaching thing, but ultimately that the pain attack has to be better and it can be better. They showed it in game one and hopefully they bring in game three if they hope to win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And but final word on it then, where do you think this series will stand after the two games in Miami? I think there's, there's such a, this is a cop out, but if, if Celtics win, depends on Celtics win. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't predict. This is just such a shocking, a jarring, two games that it feels like it's heat and five right now when my initial disposition, even after a game one was still Celtics and seven, but ooh, it's tough. It's tough. If, if they lose, I think it's, I think it's heat and five. If, mm-hmm. if the Celtics win, then I think I'm back in the bandwagon. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and, and if they win in, in good fashion. So that, yeah. that's a poor answer, but yeah, you're 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 a fan of you're a fan of those poor answers. You don't like to commit too too hard on these yeah, things. It, the, it everything everything tilts. It's a big tilt. Yeah, there's always there's always room for tilt, especially when the 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 Celtics are the type of team that they are. But I th- I think I I'm seeing the Heat up three one after these two games in Miami. Mm-hmm. I think they they're just they're playing that well and they they're going back to their home floor. 
think they'll be ready to they'll be able to get at least one of those games and I just think the Celtics are good enough to be able to to steal at least one as well. But then moving over to the West, the Nuggets 2-0 against the Lakers, two pretty tight games which which surprised me a bit that the the Nuggets did it in this way. Not that they not to say I'm surprised the Nuggets won just the the, the nature of the victories but the way that they're playing at the moment, I mean, I needed to be convinced. I, I didn't think that they're this absolutely elite offensive outpouring from this team was going to continue to this high volume throughout the entire playoffs. I've been waiting for it game on game for it to just crack. And there's just no giving it. This this team is playing at a truly outstanding level. Uh, something we haven't seen this level of elite offensive play could you could you say we haven't seen this since the the dominant warriors team of uh, of a few years back i think it's it's up at that level i know it's only at it would they're only they're only uh, in the early stages of the conference finals but they're playing at that level and it's been a really impressive start from this this denver team they didn't crumble they didn't crumble to to lebron obviously he's had his struggles especially in the clutch but there's just like there's nothing that's gonna phase this team at the moment. Yeah. Um just just looking at it. Um I'll I'll have an answer for you for that in a second. Cause that, that is an interesting answer. What is what has been the best offensive rating? Um but I mean the, the Nuggets, I think one interesting thing to compare them to the Warriors, um, which is what why I think this series is gonna be interesting to to see after seeing how the, the Lakers beat the Warriors last uh last matchup is the amount of screening actions they run, the amount of off-ball movement, the amount of smart cutting. Um, the only difference being is that everything is obviously flowing through one player. And it's it's been nail-biting, man. Because last game, I mean, let, let's let's rewind to, to game one. End of game one, you know, the, the, the Nuggets yet again have a 70-plus point, a 72-point first half against the Lakers. They look unstoppable. You're like, this team's going to win by 20. And then the Lakers, you know, they they take AD off Jokic. AD's able to roam. And it's a simple story. It's already been told, blah, blah, blah. And then it, the Lakers almost make a comeback. They're just a couple points short. And that was like, whoa, okay. Lakers found something. And then just for Michael Malone to come out there and to, to comment on that, you know, I, th- I think Chuck was like railing on him for, for even commenting on it. I think that's absolutely fair. I, I love that they have this this sense about them where they understand that they're the best team in the playoffs right now, and they're not being given credit for that. So kudos to, to Malone for saying it for his guys because Jokic doesn't even say it. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. But game two comes out, and absolutely, like the, the Nuggets played another gritty game, and for an offensive team that's being taken out of their rhythm, I think they, they have the same dogged mentality that the Heat have when it comes to just keep, continue to run their offense, continue to take their shots. And Jamal Murray runs the finest line between, like, <laughs> like a a player that shoots maybe too many shots, but he's a guy who d- he just not get tired of shooting those shots, and he does not stop. And that's that kind of relentless mentality is why he has more twenty point fourth quarter performances in the playoffs than anyone in NBA history. Double. And I can't believe this. Michael Jordan only had two of those, and and, and Jamal Murray's got four, and that that sort of like short term memory loss for a guy like him is is so invaluable because 
you get plenty of performances from the rest of the guys who will will shout out here. But Jamal Murray is just not scared, does not scared of the moment, and lives up to a competition against LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and does not care who's across from him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like that, like after a really great uh, game one, it kind of looked like he was crapping out just a little bit in uh, in game three, and then the one shot goes down and it's just a free for all then ends up with 23 points in the fourth quarter to finish with uh to finish with 37 which is just he was unbelievable he did a little bit of everything in that game as well 37 10 five assists four steals after that 31 5 and 5 game in game 1 he was he was electric he's back playing at this elite level and he's really looking like a an elite star him and Jokic together are becoming a, like a star duo this this playoff run even if it were, were to end with these conference finals they have re-established themselves as a star duo in this NBA and they are they are now a duo to be greatly feared and like just on Jokic he is just playing unbelievably it, it, it's just great that he's kind of gone this way he's no longer the the league MVP, but he's gone the other way and put in the most unbelievable postseason performances of his of his career. He's averaging thirty point four points, thirteen point eight boards, and ten point two assists on fifty six, forty eight, eighty splits. Like he is playing at an absolutely outrageous level, and I wasn't sure that he had this in him. He has proven me. So very wrong. He has just looked like a world-class superstar. And I think this playoff run has has elevated him, in my mind, to to the best player in the league right now. Mm. That's deep. That's the best player. I, I can't disagree with that, with the amount of impact he has. Um, and it's... The, the scoring, I think, is the biggest difference. You see a few years ago how reluctant he could be at times to take over. And then now it's like he he knows how to choose his spots. I mean, there, there's times in game two where you felt like he could have pushed a little bit more, could have scored a little bit more, got to a shot. But, I mean, he has been just uncanny, un, unfatigable, even though he looks fatigued from, like, the tip. Like, <laughs> this is not meant to be an insult, but, like, I, the, there's not a bigger mouth breather I've ever seen on national television, the dude just looks absolutely gassed from the, the minute it's tip off, but he is constantly running the floor. He's constantly, you know, playing the points and defensively too. Um, I hate to skip over Jokic's offense, but it's, it's something if you watch Jokic, you've seen it a million times before and it's impressive that you continue to see it. I mean, it just the, the pace of the pace of play. But one thing I will say about Jokic's offense is um, it's fascinating to watch how the little things he does to get to his shots. I mean, it, no no other big in the league has that kind of floater that he has, the touch that he has around the rim. doesn't matter what angle he's at. If he can get a release off, I mean, that, that's as close as you get to a sky hook as Jokic's floater. That doesn't matter where he's at. He can be like 10 feet from the basket, get an offensive rebound, get a floater up. He could be falling away from the basket on the right or the left side. doesn't matter. Um, he just You can't get him uncomfortable. Um, for a guy who's constantly looks unathletically uncomfortable at all times, it works to his advantage because it doesn't matter if you if the defense gets into him. But um, regardless of the the offense, which has been absurd, the defense has been interesting because Anthony Davis has not been able to 
dominate him in the paint. Mm-hmm. And I think one one reason for that is is how Jokic is defending him. Jokic is allowing him to rise up for for mid range shots, and that's worked to their favor. Anthony Davis is not as comfortable as a jump shooter, and it's very much a he has it one night or he doesn't. Game one he had it. Game two he did not. And there has to be an adjustment for him to attack the space in front of him because Anthony Davis back to Jokic. Jokic is too <laughs> the Jokic is too thick, and he's really using his uh, his strength to his advantage there defensively, where Anthony Davis can't just overpower him in the paint. But Anthony Davis should absolutely be able to attack space and and get into the paint, get get to kick out to a shooter if they bring help. But but Jokic will have a tougher time handling that. But but the way the Nuggets have have really um, dug down, sent sent a little bit of help if AD is going to attack the middle, has taken that away. Um, and the shooting for the Lakers has been spotty. I mean, Rui needs a shout out because how well he's played, but I'm, I don't think the shooting around AD has been good enough to the point where the Nuggets aren't going to continue to stop the drive and just force him to either bully Jokic in the paint, which hasn't really worked, or take mid-range jumpers, which seems 50-50. Yeah, yeah, no, it's obviously, it, it's a concern. Obviously, it's the same old story. You just can't seem to do it in uh, in back-to-back games. As that 40-10 yeah. and 10 night in game one looked, looked awesome, unbelievable, then... Game two, he goes goes four four of fifteen, and I mean game two, him and LeBron combined for forty points. Yeah, that's not gonna cut it in the uh, in the conference finals. That won't that that barely cut it in in a regular season game for this Lakers team when they are only combining for forty points. So that that can't happen again. They AD has to be able to to dominate Jokic. Jokic is is stepping up defensively, absolutely no doubt. But he is, for the most part, an offensive player who is capable of playing some defense when he when he's really engaged or when he just gets in that right spot. Or a guy like AD isn't being aggressive enough. If, if his mid range shots aren't aren't falling, he's got to get that step on Jokic. He's got to just live at the live at the free throw line. Do what do what try and do what the Joel Embiid does. He's got to he's got to find a way to make adjustments. He can't just be okay for him to have these bad nights. That's that kind of the way it looks with him. Sometimes it, he just kind of accepts it and doesn't try different things that the Lakers are going to need to be able to to get back into this series. Obviously, it's it's big for them. They're going back home. They're six and zero at home so far in the playoffs. They always look like a better team when they're playing on their home floor. But with this Nuggets team, it's not going to be easy. They're not going to roll over at any stage. They're always going to have the capability. No matter how far ahead you get, like we saw in game one, they they could have stretched the lead out to 10, obviously, with the LeBron fluff dunk. But they are always staying around. They they had the, the lead of multiple occasions in that game. But when the Nuggets get hot, they are almost impossible to, to stop. The Lakers have to remain hot themselves. They have to find those go-to plays that they can go to. And they know we're going to either get free throws off this or we're going to get baskets. That's the way they're gonna have to play it because they're not gonna be able to take any any time off in these uh over these next two games because they have to win them both on their home floor. Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think I'm I'm thinking back right now to you calling out Anthony Davis and LeBron James, which is fair for sure, absolutely fair. They those two best guys need to lead the way. Um, but where where I want to ask you though, where where's the accountability for D'Angelo Russell? Where's the accountability for Dennis Schroeder, who 
I'll give him credit for the defense he's played, but offensively, just completely missing. Where's he been? Um, and I think this there are opportunities for them to to get more involved and to be more aggressive, but it just hasn't happened. And that that question is very very loud when you have the consistent production from Austin Reeves. Yeah. Where where's the accountability for those guys? Yeah, the biggest thing that it's shown is that the Lakers have no choice but to pay Austin Reeves in the in the off season. That's one thing that this uh, that this playoff run is, is showing for sure. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's true. the The thing with with Schroeder, obviously, you you kind of you you let it slide a little bit more against the Warriors because he was doing such a good job defensively on, on their their like on Curry. He's still doing a, a good job defensively. But yeah, obviously he needs to deliver that a bit more. And D'Lo as well. The main reason I don't look at it with him is almost I I I just don't expect it from him. And that's not good enough because he is a he is a top a top level player when he wants to be. He's had big playoff nights. He's had big runs, uh, good games in this in this playoff run. And when he's only having averaging ten a ten a game or even less than that, it, it, it's it's not good enough. And he has to, even if he can just come up and hit like two three threes in a game. He can be a, a, th- a your three point shooter. They're gonna they, they need that, and he can get like production outside of that. He's got to be, he's got to be their their best three point shooter almost outside of I guess uh, I guess Reeves. D'Lo's got to be the next one after that, and he. I don't know what's the best way for him to kind of get into that mode because we've seen him in going runs. He's he's been fairly inefficient throughout the playoffs, but he's gone on runs. We saw it in that game one against Memphis. There was a time when the Lakers just went cold and Reese or D'Lo was hitting difficult shots. He just went on a little run of like he made like four baskets in like six attempts or something like that just to get the team back in the flow. He's gonna have to have one of those. I feel like he's gonna have to have one of his one of his big nights over these next two games to make sure that the this Lakers team pick up the dubs and stay perfect on their home floor. And if he doesn't, the question marks are gonna be asked, and he will probably be looked at moving on uh, from the summer and it'll be another another failed tenure in uh, in L.A. Uh, for him. No. I yeah, the, the, he needs to definitely step it up as a three point shooter for sure. I mean, the the only literally the only one who's stretching the floor is Austin Reeves. That's it. That's really it. And I, it's it's interesting to see. You know, there's there's probably a better answer out there why uh, Beasley isn't playing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you need more three point shooting. Absolutely, they need to to be shooting less than thirty percent. And without Austin Reeves. They'd be shooting less than twenty percent, and it for for him to be if go five of nine both games, I mean, just absolutely impressive. I, I I really wonder what the answer is for them. Like, what's is there a lineup change that matters? Is there a defensive scheme? I, I want to say that their adjustment in game two was, was quickly not that great of adjustment. I mean, that everyone's talking about. Oh, we got to put Jared Van, Vanderbilt on Murray. Well, the Nuggets set a million screens that Jared Vanderbilt, who's a Fantastic defender has looked really great on Curry, and I think system-wise, I, I think the uh, Malone put him in a ton of difficult sets, like like sets that you know the, the angles of the down screens that they were they were putting. Really, that that was something that they need to pull Schroeder in for. And it was a quick quick few minutes. Like Nuggets made it hell for for Vanderbilt to to really stay attached to Murray, and Darvin Ham needed to put in Schroeder right away, and 
Schroeder, I mean, he he gets exploited constantly on the the offensive end where defense is just leaving him. And he, he has to be willing to shoot. He he has to be willing to do whatever it takes to actually, you know, take that shot. Because with him not shooting, I mean, he, he does this classic thing where he just gets the ball and he scans the floor. And then he thinks about shooting. Like his first instinct is not just to pull up and shoot. And that is absolutely killing spacing for LeBron James, absolutely killing spacing for Anthony Davis, encouraging doubles. And that that has been tough to see. But is there a lineup change you see? Like what, what are you doing in game three? What one thing different if based on what you've seen so far? Like is, is there a, a probably not one magic answer, but what are you trying out here? There is no magic answer. It's just like you say, Dennis Schroeder absolutely has to be more more aggressive. They need more production from D'Angelo Russell. It, it, it's pretty simple. It's stuff that we've seen from these guys before, but they haven't shown up yet in this in this playoff series. And I mean, like LeBron struggles. They've been they've been obviously highlighted because he's he's LeBron James. I mean, Charity's playoffs. He's only averaging three point nine points per game in the fourth quarter. He's one and nineteen on three point shots in in the fourth quarter. And I, like I'd never want to question LeBron for shots that he's gonna take. He's he's proven it long enough. I'm not gonna question him for for missed shots or anything like that. It's just the the, the turnovers have been a bit of a worry for me. And and some plays where you're looking at and you're just thinking this this couple of years ago. I don't think he makes this play. I think he may, he either gets gets fouled or or kicks the ball out for to an open shooter or, or something like that. He, he, it's just now the question of your seeing the impact of uh, of Father Time. Don't get me wrong, LeBron is still putting up the best fight that anyone has against Father Time. But I think we're seeing the impact that it's having in the playoffs a little, but especially in the the two games so far when they really needed him to take it to that next level in the late in the game and in, in the clutch. He he's just not been able to do it. As of yet, don't get me wrong, he could still show up and do it now in the two home games, but it, it looks like it's it's the way that it is and it's it's going to be down to other guys, not just LeBron, to, to be able to get back into this series. Yeah, we'll see who those other guys are. I, I expect a big lineup change tonight. Um, uh, Like I've, I've mentioned, you haven't seen any Beasley, you haven't seen any Troy Brown Jr., who, I mean, in, in spurts, has been great defensively, been great, ready to shoot the corner three. Um, we saw the heroics out of Lonnie Walker Jr. against the Warriors, and he's only amassed uh, the most amount of minutes, game two, 13. Um, so, you know, you're not getting production from Russell, and maybe the answer isn't to give him 33 minutes again. Maybe it's mm-hmm. to keep him a little closer to 20. So you see what you get out of him, see what you get out of someone else. But there there will be definitely changes, and that's how good the Nuggets are. The Nuggets are forcing the league just to look for creative ways here. And this is going to be a real test of how, how well Darvin Ham knows his guys. This is, this has been a team not unfamiliar to adapting to different situations as they've had far and away the most starting lineups this year. I think it was, I think it was over. It's almost like a math problem. How many different, how many different uh, iterations of this uh, random roster could you have in one season, but they've had the most. So I think of any coach who has had to recently experience a lot of change. Darvin Ham knows what to do. Um, and ultimately, we'll, we'll see. They look a lot more comfortable at home. LeBron James, like he said, tough fourth quarter. 5% out there. Maybe the, the fact is that he's taking those threes and someone else is not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the problem in and of itself. 
did not hit in game two. Oh, six from three. Um, it's it'll be a disappointing way for LeBron to go out. It'll, it'll be quite the feather in the cap for Denver to just a couple years after being embarrassed by Lakers in the bubble to beating them in such a such an interesting way. Like this, this doesn't feel to me like the Lakers are losing. I I, I hate that narrative, and I want to push back no, on that. Not. Yeah, no way. And and it's it's this is. This is the Lakers struggling to find answers with a Nuggets team who not only is more equipped offensively, but I think giving the better defensive effort. I think absolutely. You look at these two games. That that's my takeaway message: is that the intensity and the effort, albeit on the home court, maybe that that's a dynamic that definitely matters in the playoffs. But their intensity has absolutely defeated the intensity of the Lakers. Just the the physicality of Aaron Gordon. The, the even the physicality of Michael Porter Jr. Give him a quick shout out for you know he's really really like selling out on on uh, on shooters like he's really contesting those shots and then he's getting back into play that is that that's been impressive from him that even in moments where he's in bad defensive position and he has to run back into play he's getting blocked from behind Bruce Brown just unbelievable and Christian Braun as a rookie. I mean, he's he's getting good minutes defensively out there, um, but Bruce Brown. I mean, that that's been the star of the show. Maybe, maybe that that would be my last point on Nuggets because I, I, I feel like uh, I feel a little vindicated, very vindicated, I should say, because he he was a fun little fun little acquisition in the offseason last year, and I think we mentioned it last pod. But I mean, he's just not afraid of the moment. And shout out, he's he's a Massachusetts guy. I think he's from Lowell. I, I got to look it up again, but he's he's from Massachusetts, and that that guy's just. Hard nose, take it down the middle of the floor, and that that's unacceptable defense for the Lakers and all the drives that he's had just directly to the cup. Mm-hmm. But the amount of pressure he is by himself put on the Lakers defense when he gets out there, that's that's the exact kind of production that you hope to get from a championship level second unit because the second that those guys get out there, like it, they are hungry. Like the minute Bruce Brown's feet touch the wood, like the the hardwood, he, he's immediately sprinting down the floor. He's making, I mean, you can put him on Anthony Davis, I mean, at, at spot moments, and he's going to do whatever he can to be just a past. And I, it's just, it's impressive. His leadership for that second unit and the energy he brings has been a major, a major piece to this story that the Nuggets are putting together in this postseason. Yeah, no, he's he's been absolutely unbelievable, and in these two games as well as the as the rest of the the playoffs and MPJ as well. Not just, obviously defense is the big thing, but also seven or thirteen so far. On on three pointers in this series, he keeps that that up, and that's a huge impact for this uh for this Denver team. But I'm, I'm gonna remain confident. I'm gonna do my best to remain confident. And I'm gonna say the Lakers remain perfect at home, and we get this this series to seven games, and just make the Nuggets think about it. The Nuggets, no doubt, are the better team in this series, 100%. I just think the value of the home floor is huge for this Lakers team, and I think they'll. They'll continue to fight. LeBron can't go down on a sweep or anything like that. That can't. That it can't, can't go. It can't go. Can't possibly go down like that. Or at least I, I hope anyway. But uh, Nuggets playing unbelievable basketball, no doubt. As good as Miami are, I still think Denver the best team in this left in the playoffs, and they got to be the the favorites as we look ahead now. But I think uh, that's gonna do it for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening, and my thanks to Chris for getting up very very early to to record with me. Continue to enjoy these playoffs. Lakers Nuggets game three tonight. Must win for the Lakers. 
Game three tomorrow for Celtics Miami. A must win for the Celtics. More importantly, remember to take every shot and love every moment. Nuggets in five. Thank <laughs> you.